one principle that I try to like apply in my daily life is like assuming best intentions Mm -hmm. of everybody. Right. Cause there's not really any negative that comes with that. And like a lot of positive. And it's that like, if you come into a conversation with somebody that you disagree with, assuming that they're not trying to be a dickhead, sometimes they are trying to be a dickhead, but if you assume that they're not trying to be a dickhead, you're probably a going to be right most of the time and B just going to have a better chance of the conversation like just being authentic and effective welcome back motherfuckers (laughs) oh man yeah welcome to season three it's been a month it's been too long And I know you've missed us. But we're just in time for the holidays. We've got more fucking villain for your head tops. Yeah. Well, especially while you're on the plane, you know, <laughs> going home or on the train or on the in the car, going should... to see your family. So we're back. Uh, for those of you that spent our break listening to our back catalog, thank you so much. For those of you that didn't, you know, whatever. I think you could have just left it there. You didn't have to say yeah. for those of you like fuck you. Like what? For those of you that didn't. They're listening I'm now. I'm wild aggressive today. <laughs> no, I feel good. And like this is the podcast where like I'm gonna sound a lot like like a curmudgeonly old conservative guy. I mean, I sound that way too, though. Yeah. But. But but I think the whole point is that there are people who how who think that way that are actually within our own generation, and we're also sick of this shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that so. Um, so the thing that we're going to be talking about today is just like this overarching, I guess, how we fe- feel about like the political sphere as it relates to like discourse and like our ability to deal with things that we don't like or interact with people that we disagree with. Yeah. Well, so this season we are going to kind of just this kind of just happened accidentally but we have a pretty political season coming up yeah right pretty accidentally yeah and you know we have a whole episode on socialism we have, we're talking about call out culture we're talking about like local politics um and like housing and like all kinds of stuff like that yeah and like millennial success yeah yeah and like motherhood like that's kind yeah. of political right yeah. So we felt like it made the most sense to start off this season just by talking about, you know, our our thoughts on the general political situation. And I wanted to start off by talk going back to the very first episode of season two where My you made first a, episode. your first episode where you made a comment where I had said something along the lines of, you know, we feel like we should be able to talk about transracialism because even though we're not, you know, trans in any way, because we think that we should be able to let anyone talk about, you know, anything that they want to. It doesn't have to be restricted to like, oh, you, a lot of what happens on the left is, you know, you haven't had my experience. So yeah. you shouldn't have the space to speak about this. Yeah. And my, right. And I said something, some quip on like, well, I think that's why we lost the 2016 election. Or exactly. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do. I mean, I do think that that played a large part. And I think that. But well, what I, I guess I should say it. Yeah, I should say what it is. Yeah. The thing, the it that I'm talking about, or that I was referring to specifically, at that point, was the idea 
of people shouldn't talk about things that they don't have direct lived experience in or are not an expert, quote unquote, in. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's this very like postmodern idea when we just learned what like postmodernism means. But, we were, but you're not going to hear about it until later episodes. So we should just quickly explain it. Yeah. <laughs> so the way that it was explained to us today about one of our, <laughs> by one of our guests who you will meet later uh, listeners <laughs> is that like postmodernism is this idea that like there isn't any objective truth and truth is a thing that is perceived by each like each person on an individual level. And it's a thing that's shaped by every single identity that that person holds. And your subjective experiences. In and particular. your subjective experiences, which means that everyone like has their own different version of truth. And that's equally valid. That's equally valid. Yeah. yeah. Which I think I like, I don't have a problem with that. And I, I strongly think, prescribe to that. And you, I, you agree I with that. didn't have the word for it before, but I guess I'm a, a postmodernist. Yeah. I do think that postmodernism has brought in some challenges or like some, I think that we have adapted to postmodernism. We at being like politically active millennials mm -hmm. have adapted to postmodernism in a way that I think is in some ways not like overcorrecting in a, in a sense. And what I mean by that is we like have sort of developed these spaces that are, that when we talk about, politics or identity politics or things like that you have to like they come across as like one just hyper uh academic yeah uh, like you're not qualified to talk about this thing unless right. you've read xyz like you know political theorist or whoever, or or, right? or if you're black or whatever or whatever or minority if you're a we're feminist talking about. or like yeah. you've read the feminist literature yeah and judith butler and this, I think, has led to like a number of different problems. One being that, for example, if we're talking about like race theory or whatever, um, we are generally uninterested in what white people have to say about race theory. Right. Even though everyone has had a lived experience with race, it's not yes. like no one doesn't have it. And so, like, I understand why, right? Like, I'm black. Right. I get it. I get why. And like, I don't like when white people try to tell me how I should feel about as a person of color or whatever. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that, I don't think it's good to tell anyone that they can't talk about anything. Um, because how do you expect any sort of like revolution or progress to be made if half of the people in America can't even talk about it or can't even like, are not invited into that conversation. Aren't invited into the conversation. Right. right. Yeah. And I think that that sort of idea pushes a, like through our space on along the lines of any identity that, that we conceive to be marginalized. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that in reference to the first episode that we were talking about of the second season, we were talking about transracialism and we were like, yo, we're going to be talking about trans people and not of us are trans. And I think both you and I agree that that is okay so long as the people that talk about it identify that like, yo, we don't, we're not trans, so we don't know, no, mm -hmm. but. But it's not like we then have completely invalid opinions or not, or are not allowed to have opinions on yeah. the topic because anyone can, you know, have a capacity to imagine and have empathy and like have rational thoughts about things that they haven't had a personal experience with. Right. And so I think that this all connects to 
The next big issue that I want to talk about, which is that it is not okay, or it's really hard to be wrong once in these kinds of talks, right? Like, we do, I think that one of the big critiques that the right has of the left, and I think it's a very valid critique, is that if someone, like, fucks up one time, and it's, like, a racially, it's like if someone says something racist once, they're kind of, like, labeled as a racist forever, and, you know, repeat for whatever problematic things that someone has said or whatever. But And I would also say that I don't think that people, most people in 2019 in America are saying overtly racist things. No. I do think that a lot of it is in the gray areas where you're just like, oh, well, like you said this thing that could be interpreted as racist and I'm interpreting it as racist, but it, like it's not, it's really, I think, gray i think most of the issues that we're dealing with in those types of situations you know no one's saying like no one's going around being like fuck black people today yeah well the thing is that the goalposts do keep moving yeah right like which i don't think is a bad thing i think it's good i think it's good that like that um society is like constantly in it like re-innovating re-adjusting to make room for people that were like have been historically fucked over by society Mm -hmm. right but I think that we have to understand that, like, as we're moving the goalpost, we're not telling everybody that we're moving the goalpost, right? Mm-hmm. We're just moving it. Mm-hmm. And then someone plays by the rules of the old goalpost, and we get, like, we get really, really mad at them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, it's just, like, bad business as it relates to, like, branding for the left, right? Like, anytime we, like, aggressively cancel somebody on Twitter because they said something racist 10 years ago, it's just more like propaganda fuel for the right to radicalize their people. We, and by we, I, I'm like lumping myself in with like the lefty progressive side of whatever, have to do a better job at having discourse and being like tolerant of people that don't think the same as us. And I also think that part of the motivation or the rationale behind why people on the left don't want to give people who disagree with them or like people who are in the majority class like you know white rich men or whatever yeah the space to talk is because i think there's this notion that the amount of time to speak or like the platform or just you know that whole you know space is a finite resource and like they and basically the notion is those people have always had their you know have always been the loudest and always have had their opinions and experiences front and center yeah and you know they should take a step back but that's actually one of the things that i think most things are finite and most things are zero sum i don't actually think that space to talk is one of them anyone can tweet it's not like if one person tweets and you know everyone likes their tweet it's not like some other person can't tweet Okay, so maybe in some cases, for example, if you're inviting a speaker to come speak at a school, you have finite, you know, speaker budgets or whatever, right? But for the most part, right, if you're just like posting on your own social media, like that's an infinite resource. If you are having conversations with people, like I think that a good example of this is talking in class. I think that a lot of people want like, you know, have there's this at least it's worth more, right? There's this big movement of like trying to get white men to stop talking in class and let women talk more. Which is like pretty ass backwards. I really think that is so like there is, I don't think that class time is really that finite of a resource. (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> like I think that right. women could just talk more and I don't think that requires like telling white men to shut up in class. Right. So I, I get the rationale behind like a lot of these sort of movements, right? Like white people talk less in class, white people make room for, you know, people that don't look like you to talk, talk and all that. Or and be I, seen or whatever. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I heavily subscribe to the idea that if you're white, you like should learn how to use your platform responsibly mm-hmm. and like make room for people of color or like, you know, marginalized people to talk or whatever. But like I'm, I also firmly believe that like no change is going to happen in this country unless white people are down with it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like just like from a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless like unless we're talking really long term when white people become t- like the, the minority. minority, but yeah. that's not for a long time. Yeah, and so and, and even I, even if even if it is, you're waiting for the demographics to change, and you're just waiting for them to be a minority. That's still shitty. Yeah, it's still super shitty. Right, you're so still you, doing so you this shitty thing that they're doing to you. Oppress them, them like they right? oppressed us. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think that when like we're pushing the like ideals, we really have to start thinking about like to what end. Like when we talk about things like you know white guys talk less in class. Like what is like what's the end goal? Is it that like is is the end goal that like white guys don't talk at all in class? Because that doesn't seem fair. I think really the what the goal people have is that I think that a lot there's always like kind of one kid who monopolizes the conversation and then it just becomes kind yeah. of a dialogue between them and the teacher or the yeah. professor. And I think that I think that also professors should do a better job at calling other people into the conversation. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think that like we have some lazy ass professors that are like so fed up with like having to pull information out of their students are like yeah whatever Richard like what, what do you want to say you mm-hmm. know yeah and so I think that like I think the responsibility falls on a lot of people mm-hmm. it isn't just like the white guy that talks a lot in class yes I do think that if you're going to say something especially in, in a public format in, a, in class like try and think about whether or not you're actually adding to the conversation you know mm-hmm. I do think people that I do think that people should be mindful when they speak generally yeah I think it's the responsibility of the professor to start calling people into the discussion more or start running their classroom in a way that feels like it's accessible to everybody. And I think it's, and also I think that some of the responsibility does fall on the people that aren't fucking talking. Yeah. You know? And also, ex, like, generally, responsibility falls on, like, society to start grooming our, like, our kids of all demographics that... To be more vocal. To be more vocal. But we, like, I think that we take the easiest thing to sort of address like the easiest symptom of a problem to address and that's the one we try and tackle mm-hmm. you know and in this case it's like oh just tell that white guy to stop talking as much mm-hmm. right but it's not the problem the problem is that those other people don't aren't as confident for like x y and z structural reasons because their voices are not as valued in society right. whatever right and so let's like reframe this and like look at maybe affirmative action or something right like i'm affirmative, affirmative action is really cool and like i think that it is or it was and continues to be important to legally require that people have equal opportunity to shit. Uh, but it, it's it's a band-aid, right? It's a band-aid over a wound. It's like until we figure out how to address the problem of systemic racism in this country on like a like on like an interpersonal level, on like a discriminatory level, we're requiring businesses and colleges to let black people like do things and work for them and go to school. But it's not enough. It's like it's like now you're in the door. Now, once we're in the room, like, what's going on in the room? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, once we've made it into the room, we have to sort of, like, keep advocating to really understand how, like, dynamically all these people are going to work together to make things better. You know? Yeah. Because then that translate that trickles into, like, you know, okay, you have a seat at the table in college, and then I think that has 
these compounding effects later, right? Where it's like, okay, now you're in the workforce and now you're getting leadership positions. It all has this, you know, effect down the line. Yeah. Right. And all of this is sort of like antithetical to the, to the ideas that I feel like you and I keep on running into, which, which are like, if you don't have lived experience, don't talk about it. So like, I guess this, like this specific point wrapped up is like, we cannot tell people that they are not allowed to have discourse on something if you want actual change to happen because everyone participates in society. And also some people are literally just fucking ignorant, right? Like, and in the sense that like, they just don't know. I had a friend that came back from Peace Corps and she came and visited me in DC and it was so, I didn't realize like how sort of like lefty my space had gotten Mm-hmm. Until she came back from Peace Corps after spending two years in a foreign country and started using phrases like lipstick lesbian. What does that mean? It's like slang, I think, for like a like femme lesbian. Okay. And she said something along the lines of like, I've always, like, I think I'd be down to like make out with a lipstick lesbian or something like that, right? Is it derogatory though? I know it's something that we don't really say anymore. Okay. If I had to guess, it's a phrase that's probably been perpetuated to like further a divide in like the LGBT community. Okay, got it. Right, you know? And she was saying like, as opposed to like, I wouldn't want to make out with like a butch lesbian. I'd want to make out with like a a lipstick lesbian. Mm -hmm. And there's lots to unpack there. And I'm not the one to help her unpack it. But but she said it in like near a group of like, like my really like proggy roommates, proggy as in progressive roommates. And then someone brings up to me, they're like, wow, like, she like, she said that, like that felt weird. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, dude, like she was gone for two years and the society kept evolving without her. And it's like, it's a little bit like the blackface of the nineties yeah. and eighties. Right? But if she, exactly. But if she was a public figure and she wasn't just talking about like, like me and my friends and she said that like on a public forum, like people would want to cancel her, Yeah, you know? But in reality, she like literally just hasn't been in the United States for two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like, and also just, yeah, other, other countries are, I mean, it's obviously there are some countries that are more progressive than us, but from a social perspective, most less, countries are less. Generally less progressive. Right. And so this idea that like, like when someone says something that you're not fucking with and it, we, like you should just talk to them about it in a way that isn't like derogatory and not like yelling at them. Right. And like, because that's like the only way to me, the only way that like change can really fucking happen, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I feel like a logical, a really logical critique of this that I will probably get on this episode and that people have given in the past is that like the responsibility shouldn't fall on the people that are being oppressed to prove to other people why, they're worthwhile. Like black people shouldn't have to sit down with white people to tell them why like certain things are inappropriate or like, or like what a microaggression is or like how, how black people have been like systemically oppressed. But and literally I, if you don't, who will? Exactly. Right. right. I agree. I think principally you're right, mm-hmm. but it's just not realistic, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I also think that people, you know, unless you are okay. I understand if you are a survivor of trauma and it's literally triggering you to have conversations with men about rape jokes or whatever. Right. But for most people, I think you can have those conversations and it's not like damaging to you. Right. And this is like a place where I always try and like try kind of lightly mm-hmm. because I am someone 
who is like privileged enough to not have ever felt triggered in the sense that like I don't really have there's nothing in, like in my life if it happens around me or like well like sort of like transport me to like a really painful time in my life you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I fully recognize that that is like that is just like I'm lucky right that that doesn't happen to me so I have no but also our definition of like being triggered quote unquote is expanding over time it is expanding over time right right and I feel like because I feel like when the word first busted onto the scene it was like you should put trigger warnings on things like related to suicide or domestic violence or whatever so that people like that are victims of that or experiencing those kinds of emotions like literally don't want to like all of a sudden kill themselves Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you know but now it's definitely become so much more like you get content warnings for like any sexual content any kind of class sometimes people literally put content warnings for like you know, class warfare or something on just anything that like mentions right. inequality. Right. You know, and, and we're so, interpreting that as like trauma for people. And so, like I said, I like I tried lightly here because I like can never know anyone else's experience. Mm-hmm. I think this does kind of streamline into like the next thing that we kind of wanted to talk about, which is um, sort of like the evolution of safe spaces. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I like I first recall the phrase like safe spaces being thrown around maybe like two to three to four years ago, mm-hmm. definitely surrounding colleges. I think definitely more than four years ago. Cause it was while I was in college, like I would say I, I encountered it basically when I went to college, like freshman year of college. Heard. I well, definitely like wasn't that early ago. for me, but you also went to a, like a very liberal school. Oh, true, true. Yeah. At the time it was like, and I, honestly, like I mainly heard fucking like Republicans try to use it to like discredit, discredit like liberals. young liberals. Yeah. Right. Um, People should be able to have spaces that they can go to where they don't have to worry about people treating them like shit mm-hmm. or talking like about their identities. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, I 100% agree with that. And I think it's like a good, kind thing to designate like, oh, yeah, you can kind of be yourself here, right? Yeah. But I think the whole purpose of that is that it's kind because it's not an expectation you can have everywhere in society. Yeah. And so we, I think there are two main things in like the recent zeitgeist that um, are notable that we can like use to frame this discussion. The first is like, like former President Obama coming out and being like, cancel culture is dumb um, recently. But while he was president, he said something like very similar in response to when it was like, it just, this probably is still happening um, but there was like a point in like, I feel like 2012, 2013, 2014, maybe where like a bunch of like Republican or conservative speakers were like doing college tours and there were like these really, really aggressive protests mm-hmm. happening around them going to schools. You know, like I remember like Milo Yiannopoulos went somewhere and like Antifa started setting, setting shit on fire and like whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And President Obama was like, yo, uh, like, safe spaces are important, but also college is, always has been, and and should continue to be a place where you are challenged Mm -hmm. in every aspect, including in the way that you think. Um, We should avoid, like, surrounding ourselves with people that only think the way that we think, and we should stop trying to, like, shut out the noise of things that you don't agree with. You know, you should be like, 
trying to go to listen to what this person has to say so you can articulate why you don't agree with them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or get your mind changed. Right. Right? Which like, happens, which we're less and less and less open to over time. Yes. We sure. are not open to changing our mind. Yeah. Um, and so on that, like, on just, like, generally on that idea, I, like, am staunchly, staunchly pro. Yeah. Right? Like, and pro, this might... Pro what specifically? Pro, like, intentionally seeking things, media, people that don't think the same way that you think. Mm-hmm. You know? And I feel like I hear so many, especially in the Trump era, right? Because so many people feel victimized by the Trump era. And so many people think that, like, talking to these people is validating them. And so many people think that validating them means agreeing with them. Yes. Like, that's, I think, just such a, such a slippery slope to equate. Yeah. And, like, let's be, let's be very, very clear. If you feel victimized by the Trump era, raise your hands. Everyone does. And you all have the right to, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like the mean girl scene where, like, raise your hand if you feel, if you feel victimized by Regina George. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but like, I think that's also given rise to the feeling of like politics getting closer and closer and closer to your identity. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I also agree with. I think like, you agree that it's a good thing. No, I agree that I agree that it's valid. Okay. It's valid. You know, because, but the thing is that, 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 that becomes like a justification to, for a lot of people to just like block whoever on Facebook because like if they support Trump then they, then they like are like have like aggressive aggressions towards your identity or like like if they support Trump then they can't support black people or like whatever whatever you know well it really goes actually back to that notion of postmodernism right right and because I think there's this um, we are closing the gap between the personal and the political right you can't just have these like you know objective or rational political opinions right that seem or you can't even feel apathetic right because politics is so personal now and it's so wrapped up in your lived experience and you know people will say if you are not political then that is like privilege because you are not able to you know you you're not experiencing those like negative effects right right. and i think that's right Mm -hmm. i think it is a privilege to be apolitical Mm -hmm. right I think it's a privilege that's often afforded to only white people, especially white males. Or I um, would say probably more than white people, rich people. Yeah, rich people. I would say, I, th- I think it's more class thing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, like, this notion that if you if someone could, like, ever vote for Trump, that you could just never talk to them, or you could never... Like, even give them the light of day. You can never, like, listen to them. They're toxic. You got to cut them out. Right. Yeah. I think that is so, so, so bad for society. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, um, I think that's what, like, fuels people that support Trump feeling like this, like, us against the world mentality. You right. know? That's right. how he won. Right. Right? Like, well, I think there's a lot of factors. I think it's also a matter of, like, people feeling disenfranchised because they don't have jobs. Yeah. I think it's all got a lot of economics. And, stuff. like, to all of my... Like, all of my Proggy friends already know that I feel this way. But Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate. Mm-hmm. Right? She, like, she took the people that were going to vote for her for granted. She didn't go to places that were, like, extremely dominated, like, red 
or like worker-centric places like she didn't go to like you know rural communities she didn't go to like Fayetteville North Carolina or whatever like you know like she might have gone there but Mm -hmm. like she did not try to reach out to these people Mm -hmm. this like working class white person Mm -hmm. working class whatever and I think when someone says like I could just never understand how someone could vote for Trump then you're not thinking hard enough Mm -hmm. I can understand exactly why someone would vote for Trump Mm -hmm. because they were raised Republican they don't see any of the Democratic candidates coming out and trying to talk to them, mm-hmm. trying to tell them, trying to talk to like them about how they're going, like the Democrats are going to improve their lives, mm-hmm. right? Donald Trump came to their town. He is giving us scapegoats, you know. He's like telling us who to blame. And you're afraid. And you're afraid. There's a lot of this stuff that's motivated by emotion. Like I'm really, I'm really interested in us talking about this notion of being able to evaluate things rationally as opposed to being motivated by emotion because you can't i don't think you can separate those things right there's like emotional logic that's a thing right like you we care about being empathetic that's what empathy is it's emotional logic Mm -hmm. and we care about like being empathetic and understanding people's human experiences until it comes to someone that is a fucking republican low-key or really any kind of outgroup because i think democrats or the left also loves to outgroup itself in certain ways, like different subsections of itself. Yeah, 100%. Right. And I think within this is like the shining hypocritical aspects of the left, which is that when it comes to demographics that we know have been uh, historically marginalized, we are perfectly happy to write off any of their shortcomings to environmental and sociological reasons. And I think fairly, I want to be very clear is that like, I do think that your environment completely influences how, like, what happens in your life. I think mm-hmm. there, you have some agency. I think everyone has agency. Mm-hmm. But I get and respect and, like, wholeheartedly believe that, like, black people are often born into circumstances in this country that do not give them equal opportunities to, to succeed. I think that's true. And I think that does matter. And I think we should, like, remember Acknowledge that. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on that same token... We have to understand that people on the right are also born into circumstances that are beyond their control and often have very, very good reasons to think think the ways or like to believe the things that they believe. Yeah. I mean, I would go one step further, especially like with this whole postmodernist thing that I'm now thinking about a lot is just in my view, you cannot say that anything that you believe right everyone's everyone's beliefs is just a formula that is like it's just a function of the various experiences that you've had yes right i was raised in a democratic household i'm a democrat yeah and that's not to say that like you know there aren't people who switch sides or who think for themselves whatever but i would say for the most part right there's so many social dynamics pushing you to agree with the people around you because you want to be liked, because you want to be part of a community, right? Right, And I really think that most people are, like don't really deviate from that. Yeah. Right? Unless they do a lot of hard work. Right. You know, to, to really go back and derive all of their values from scratch. Right. And so to... To, like, to say that, like, you cannot have voted for Trump and not be a racist or whatever, like, it's incredibly short-sighted for a lot of reasons, but I think that, in reality, like, most of the people that voted for Trump voted because 
like he was the person that was like different right and when you're afraid you do want someone who feels like they're like, speaking to you like a populist yeah right and they're gonna shake things a up charismatic you know populist yeah he was a liar he lied about everything mm-hmm. but yeah. i think that you know a lot of those people are like Everyone in politics lies. Exactly. Hillary Clinton was also a liar. Yeah. Patented. <laughs> yep. You know, like, patented, like, proven. <laughs> so, like, that's not even something they're equal in that respect. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, like, the DNC, like, fucked Bernie Sanders out of a chance, right? Like, that's, like, that was, like, that was political corruption that we just, like, kind of dealt with. We didn't, like, try and do anything to fix it. Like, oh, like. Any, well, like, what can you do to fix it at that point? Yeah, I mean, we were far along, but, like, I get that, like... Unless you want to write him in, which is not... You can't get enough concerted people to yeah. do Yeah, but my point is that, like, when people recall that election, they, like, act as if we were, like, in a... Like, we, like... Like, we had that election stolen from us. Well, I just think that so many people just solidly did not think there was any, any, any possibility that Trump could win. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so like they, they weren't, they weren't really taking it that seriously. Yeah. You know? So, um, so yeah, my point is that like, like obviously there are some people, like I don't think that everyone within a marginalized group needs to run and go find someone that disagrees with them and, like, try and convince them of otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that you should seek to challenge yourself and challenge your views and understand why you feel the way that you feel about something. Mm -hmm. Like, really understand it, you know? Yeah. And, like, like I often consume right-wing content so I can really understand what I think about this is horseshit, Mm -hmm. you know? And we are so down to, like, think of everyone as people until that person's a conservative. You can't treat people badly if you want to live in a society that has equ- that is equal and has equity. Yeah. You can't treat anyone badly. Yeah. And that includes the people you don't like. Mm-hmm. And Especially because you're, you're validating them treating you badly because they don't like you back. So, like, if you're going to... It's equal. We understand, or a lot of us understand, that, like, we have created, like, more radical terrorists in, in the Middle East by going there and fucking up their country. Mm-hmm because we've given them reasons to hate us, you must understand that by that same logic, if you treat someone that is a conservative like an outcast and like fucking hurl insults at them for like, you know their entire life, that they're going to be radicalized. We just have to start like walking the walk. We like, like Democrats and like leftists can like claim to be the party of like tolerance and human rights and acceptance or whatever or whatever or whatever. But that has to but extend to everybody. you have to walk the walk. Yeah. It has right? to extend to everybody. If yeah. you want, like, it, like, it's just the only way it can work. Mm-hmm. Or else we can rebuild this shit where, you know, there's, like, a different majority of power and a different mi- minority oppressed. But to me, that's still not a society that I want to live in. Right? Like, my goal in this is not so that my specific identity groups, like, become, like, the, the group in power. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people give me a lot of shit for believing this, right? Like the whole notion that my beliefs are equally valid to your beliefs because I do think that there's a huge population on the left who are like, no, if you're racist, you're wrong, right? And my beliefs are right. And like I, you know, my beliefs should trump yours. I think that 
it's just across the board, regardless of what you're talking about, it is so presumptuous to think that you have somehow uncovered, like you have the lock on truth and you have the authority on what is right and what is wrong, right? Because that is something that is just a function of everyone's subjective experiences, right? And it goes directly against like the postmodern ideals that we like to align ourselves with. Of like this idea that intersectionality is so important. Yeah. And that like people's like internally held truths are valid. Right. Even if you are, even if you are, you know, of all of those majority demographics, right? Yeah. Even if you are like a rich white man, it's not like all of a sudden your, your opinions don't matter. Right. Of course they matter and they're going to continue matter disproportionately. Right. So you should probably still try to appeal to those people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you have to you have to treat everyone like they're human beings. Yeah. You know, and regardless of whether you like it or not, no movements can happen in this country without conservative support, at least in part. Because if we like, if Bernie Sanders gets elected and starts like implementing like wild democratic socialist policies, but doesn't do anything to try to appeal to the people that don't that don't agree with him to try to like make them understand that those are going to affect them positively too, then he's out in four years and we get another big Republican president. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and I, my goal is to get out of this pendulum. Like, I don't know if we can ever really get out of the pendulum, but I do think that you can make it a more, <laughs> I mean, you. Can, I think it's definitely reasonable to try to say, let's stop the pendulum, the pendulum from getting wider and wider and more and more and more and more extreme. Right. Uh, I'm trying to get as close to out of the pendulum as we can get. <laughs> yeah. The logical response to a Donald Trump is a Bernie Sanders, but they're like... Then there's going to be a response to that. Yeah. And like, I do think that there are a set of policies that exist that maximize the good for people, right? Mm-hmm. And we have the tools to measure that, like various metrics, yeah. right? And my goal, like my ideal country, is whatever those policies are, I have a hunch that those policies lie more on the left than they do on the right, and that's why I'm a Democrat. But people need to feel positive repercussions from, from policy change, you know? Like, feel it, feel it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think feel it, I, I like that you use the word feel, because I think that implies... I was, I was having this conversation the other day about how, you know, I really like to take this very kind of academic approach to understanding these issues of like, you know, I'm going to study it and like, you know, really come down on what I think on it, like from a kind of unemotional standpoint. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she was kind of saying like, well, look to, you know, having it be unemotional in the same way as like, you know, being apolitical is a privilege. Like having it be not an emotional issue for you is also a privilege, which, which I agree with. But at the same time, I think that if you just succumb to having it like being like, okay, well, we're all just going to be like ruled by our emotions now. I think that is definitely more of a, it plays a much larger role in our society than we would like, right? Because we wouldn't, we don't want everyone to be just electing Trump out of fear, right? We do want people to be like actually evaluating what do I really think is going to be best for our society, Yeah. right? Without that emotional element to it. Yeah. But I think that in order to tell Trump supporters that you need to get over your fear of whatever it is, whether it's you know immigrants or people taking over your jobs, whatever it is, right? 
equally, I think you have to say you also, as a minority who's like going through various oppression, trauma, exploitation, whatever, right? That's causing an emotional response in you. I think that those emotional responses are probably equally uncontrollable. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's something that like the emotional aspect of it and the feeling part of it, that's something that can only be mitigated by like literally just like being nice to people and not trying to fucking alienate everyone. (laughs) Right? Yeah, two things I want to say in response to that. The one is like one is I think the more relevant thing, which is that yes, like you just got to start being nice to people and I think that like that means that if you're like a democratic politician, you know, whoever wins the primary on the democratic side to be the candidate, like I don't understand sincerely why they don't spend like 51% of their time going to like red counties, red states and having town halls and talking to people, mm-hmm. you know, like regardless of who's in office actually. Yeah. Right. Like let people that don't think the way that you think come and ask you questions and then you tell them why you can help them. To me, like going back to the idea of like stopping the pendulum or slowing the pendulum. Yeah. Like the people that um, campaigning focuses on nowadays is just like, are just like, the centrist independence, mm-hmm. right? They try to swing those like 4% of people mm-hmm. so they can win the election. The like the reigning Democratic candidate will not try to appeal to the 48% of America that is aggressively like solidly red because it's viewed as like a waste of candidate resources. But I think that like we should be trying to make a government that truly works for as much of the population as we can make it work, including the 48% of people that don't agree with you. I think that, like, I generally agree that people want to be able to have jobs. They want to be able to make money for their family. They want to be able to be able to ensure that their family is going to be okay. Yeah, but how realistic is it that people that, given that we are in a place where we are right now, where people change their minds so rarely, what are we going to do to get people to start changing their mind? I think literally what I just said, just talking to people, talking to them. We don't like Bernie Sanders is not going to like bumfuck nowhere, West Virginia, to, to talk to Republicans. Just Republican people, right? People, like, not politicians, not mayors, like, people. Mm -hmm. I think that if, like, any of these blue candidates did a press run where all they did was go to, like, Republican-held communities and have town halls where, like, any of these, like, Republican people can come and ask them questions about, like, like, their policies and they, like... If they had to like sit there and like effectively articulate why their policies are going to help them too, um, I think that would be the most effective marketing campaign that a candidate has ever seen. My goal is not to kick Trump out of office in 2020, right? Like my goal is to get a government that works for as many people as possible as soon as we can. Do I think that Trump can head that government? No, I don't. Well, actually, and- I think that if that's your goal, the real focus should really just be on local politics. I agree. And I'm trying to, like, understand that more. Yeah. Because um, I, I don't even think that very few of the people that we're friends with probably read local news at all. The first thing was that, like, the idea that I think we should just start, like, aggressively trying to target people, the people that we consider politically untouchable, like, and, like to get their votes, you know. But not to get their votes, to make people understand why. If you think your policies are better for everyone, why? I don't think the average Republican is as... Is as unreasonable as as like 
people on the left would have you th- would have you think. Speaking from someone that like grew up in the South, right? Mm-hmm. Grew up around Republicans. Like everyone's just trying to make a good life for them and their family mm-hmm. most of the time. So I feel like if you can convince someone that the way to do that is this other way, then they'll vote for you. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is that I really do think that we need to stop treating like an imbalance of privilege as a, as a stopping block um, in conversation. Because you, you said that Kristen said to you, um, like you need to understand that like being emotionally apathetic is a privilege, mm-hmm. right? And similar to like, yo, being apolitical is a privilege, being white is a privilege, whatever, whatever, whatever. I think that we like throw that out in a conversation to just get someone to stop talking. Yeah. Just get someone to stop giving their opinion because you don't think that it matters or because you don't want it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's horseshit. Like, like similarly to what we were saying in our uh, polyamory conversation about like when you run into jealousy, you just work through it. I think that you should just work through it. Like acknowledge the privilege. Like, yeah, dude, you're right. But like, that doesn't mean that I don't have anything good to say on this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just another way that I think that like, the left is trying to stifle conversation <laughs> around things. Mm-hmm. Um, like difference between acknowledging privilege and like letting privilege run the conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't think privilege should run the conversation. I think people should run the conversation. And I realized that like <laughs> I previous early on this conversation, I said that there, that there are two things that I wanted to talk about to frame what we were going to talk about. I know I said one thing, which was like a President Obama. Mm-hmm. Saying what he said. The second thing is what happened at Northwestern. You had like three different two item lists so far (laughs) yeah you're right um but the other big thing that you and i were talking about to set up for this discussion was like what happened at northwestern and i think that like maybe we can just give a quick overview of what happened and then you and i can give our opinions on it maybe we can wrap this shit up but Mm -hmm. um but um what happened at northwestern essentially uh jeff sessions coming to speak at a school lots of big protests on campus because, you know, Jeff Sessions is Jeff Sessions. People were there, police were there, and I guess the police started, like, you know, pushing students around. Maybe a couple people got thrown to the ground, whatever. And the Northwestern School school newspaper was there and, like, taking pictures of, like, the police roughing people up, um, doing all that kind of stuff, and, like, just being journalists. And they published these pictures and, like, an article in the newspaper the next day about what happened. And then, like... Outrage starts pouring in from students of Northwestern saying that, that A, they were being, like, re-traumatized by, like, having to be re-reminded of what happened to them at this protest, and B, that, like, the school has a history of, like, retaliation against um, students that, like, were at public demonstrations. Um, and, like, this, like, a, a low-key sub-C point is that, like, um, apparently, North, the paper at Northwestern like contacted students for interviews through using like the student directory at their university. Um, people were really mad at this, and so Northwestern issues like an apology the next day, takes down the pictures from their website, and the like, the, the newspaper, not the, the yeah, school. Yeah, North, Northwestern's newspaper issues an apology editorial the next day, saying that they were wrong, trying to be, trying to be better in the future, whatever. Um, and I think, and a lot of other people think that that's horseshit. <laughs> because specifically, because 
Um, of two reasons, well, of many reasons, but because it is a journalism, or it's a like journalist job to sort of like capture what's really happening at, especially at protest. And to me, if you were like at a protest and the police are like fucking y'all up or like roughing you up, then like you should want those pictures to go public. Like you should want people to know that the police are out here wilding, you know? And a protest is a public event. It's like, literally that's the point. Like you go to a protest to show publicly that you are a human that stands against this thing. So. Right, so presumably the more exposure, the better because literally that's the point of a protest. Yeah. If you, as a protester, are not ready to have your face plastered all over the internet because of what you were out there supporting, then you should either A, wear a mask at the protest, or B, not be at the protest. Because that's literally what a protest is, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and the complete wrong way to, to, to approach that is get mad at the school newspaper for publishing the photos mm-hmm. that of you getting thrown to the ground by a police officer at a public event, mm-hmm. by a public officer, mm-hmm. that public people pay public money to pay. Mm-hmm. to employ <laughs> you know like every sense of this is public everything about this is public mm-hmm. as to what they were saying about like the school victimizing or like targeting students i don't know the validity of that like whatever that's like a beast in of itself um that's but that's kind of a really a separate problem from it being reported on in the media unless it was the case that's that not that the, the school problem. wouldn't have known that they were there unless they had and that's i'm sure it's not the case right right the guy that took the pictures was like, the student took the pictures was like, yo, I was the only like student owned camera there. Mm-hmm. I was the only person that like wasn't like, didn't have like a, a biased stake in this shit like there. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to capture what happened and I did. I think that, yeah, I think that like, I mean, this is a student owned newspaper and like, I do think that we're seeing like an, a general overcorrection um in schools right now towards like towards like really really like progressive ideals mm. and like some that even like might stifle stifle free speech and like free freedom of press and stuff and i think this is an example of that i don't think that like this is a trend i think that i don't think this is a trend that we're going to keep seeing i do think that like we're overcorrecting right now and we're eventually going to like settle back into a middle like an equilibrium mm-hmm. but um i do find that like this sort of like targeting of the press now on both sides, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Trump's administration has been really, really consistent about like villainizing the press, fake news, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now, like, we see like a little budding, like a little budding, like targeting of the press on like the far left side for like publishing pictures of people. Yeah, you know. Well, I do think that. It is worth noting that we just live in a crazy time and like when anything that you do can be documented and shared with the world. Previously, these things would have just been confined to your campus community. It probably no one's probably reading your campus newspaper. It's probably not online. So you weren't as worried about these kinds of things having these like long lasting and extremely like more public than just your school newspaper yeah. like th- this is this kind of stuff was receiving attention from all p- 
journalists all over the country and the world. Right. Right. And so I do empathize a little bit with just everyone, actually, like everyone who lives in our society right now who is like a little bit more paranoid than they were before because that's that is definitely higher stakes. If you want to go work at the Washington Post and you're one of those journalists who is getting lambasted by all these other journalists, most of the time if you fuck up, right, in like your college newspaper, no one's ever going to know, right? Yeah. But now these people, like all these, there's multiple, I think there was three Washington Post op-eds about this. And so like those people all know who you are and like that could have potential, that could real have real potential effects on your career. Yeah. You know? But I think... I mean, and this is like obviously hindsight, but all of those op-eds were like supporting the journalists. Yeah, apologizing was the wrong call, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you should journalism should be unfettered. Right, 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 right. And but even but even if you're talking about the flip side, not the journalists, but the students, right? You know, if they want to, if they if they think that it could potentially jeopardize their future job prospects, right? I mean, you're right; they shouldn't be at the protest. But at the same time, things are just so much more public than they were before. Yeah. And that's, I think, scary on every level. I see what you're saying, and I agree with you on the journalism point. But also, we are just living these just crazy public lives. Yeah. Where everyone in the country can now witness your, especially at younger ages, right? Where you are, you are, you can have like really outsized influence when you're like a kid who's just doing dumb shit. Yeah, like on accident. Exactly. I think it's valid to think that, you know what, maybe in the future my views on this will change and I will regret having done this. And it is shitty all around for everyone involved. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to live in this society and I think that it's... Going to get harder. It's going to get harder. harder. And especially it's going to get harder for people that are are trying to make a career out of like writing publicly on... Things. Or anything that involves, and I think there is more and more jobs that involve being just a popular person. Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know what I mean, like you know, who, Instagram influencers, Twitter influencers, any of these like basically big social media people who literally just make a living off of whether people like them or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, you do actually wield a lot more power when you're like canceling someone, right? Because there's some more, more people who just like have those types of jobs, right? Yeah. Where it's literally just entirely a function of what people think of you. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's all hard. It's all hard. But like, I do think that there are some core tenants that like should remain unfettered, mm-hmm. like freedom of speech and freedom of like the press being one of them, mm-hmm. you know? Which we, to be fair, the way it's laid out like that in the constitution we have always had, and it hasn't even been infringed upon because it's not as if the government itself is trying to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like censor the press. Right. Right. It's just like all like independent parties just being mad at other independent parties. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, to bring it to a conclusion, I think that people just need to talk to people. I think that people need to let people talk. People, are on the whole more reasonable than you than you probably think they are. And I think that if someone doesn't think like you, they probably have a good reason for it. And give them the credit. Don't just say, oh, they're a racist. Oh, they're ignorant. Oh, they're, you know, X, Y, Z thing. They're probably also smart like you and just as informed as you. Yeah. And they can still disagree with you. That's like not that radical a thing yeah. to say. I really do think that 
one principle that I try to like apply in my daily life is like assuming best intentions mm-hmm. of everybody, right? Because there's not really any negative that comes with that and like a lot of positive. And it's that like if you come into a conversation with somebody that you disagree with, assuming that they're not trying to be a dickhead, sometimes they are trying to be a dickhead. But if you assume that they're not trying to be a dickhead, you're probably A, going to be right most of the time and B, just going to have a better chance of the conversation like just being authentic and effective. Like if someone hasn't shown, like voting for Donald Trump is not demonstrated proof that someone is a racist. Yes, definitely. Voting for Donald Trump is demonstrated proof that we have a very different set of ideals, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe not even. It's a demonstrated proof that like we have a very different interpretation of the ideals that this guy is trying to put forward. Well, I also think that people assume that when someone votes for someone, they they align 100%. When I feel like actually often people literally vote for someone off of one characteristic that they agree with them on. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of all I got. Just... Be nice. Be nice. If you, (laughs) all of the, like, leniency and grace and, like, acceptance and kindness that you treat people that you like with, you should probably use with people that you don't like. So more next, fucking villain for your head top. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to be talking about call out culture, which is super relevant to what we were talking about today. So it was a good segue. It is a good segue. Um, and yeah, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to be talking, you know what? Our next three guests are all going to be black women, which is dope. Yep. Anyway, you know, usual stuff. Tell us if you you know, have any comments, send, you can send us an email at I'm the villain pod at gmail.com. Ooh. You know what? For those of you, I have like been in the room with some people who I've been recommending the podcast to. Villain is spelled V I L L A I N. I, as a, <laughs> when I first became the co host of season two, I like couldn't, I was having, I couldn't log into any of our shit. And it's because I was misspelling villain. I was putting the I before the A. I had, yeah, I didn't realize that it was such a hard word to spell. <laughs> it is. It's, it's it's super counterintuitive. I mean, English it's is a like, dumb language. But. Exactly. Like the when you hear the word villain, it's like really unclear. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like us on Apple Podcasts and recommend this to your friends. Yeah. We're really excited for season three, man. And uh, I'm super happy to be sharing this with everybody again. And I am super interested and your feedback. Bye. Bye.